Hello, my name is Jim. This is my podcast, The Bloody Vegans. You're very welcome to it. Each week, I'll be travelling ever deeper into the world of veganism, discovering along the way a multitude of viewpoints from the political and ethical to the practical. I'll be doing this through a series of conversations, each aiming to further illuminate my understanding and hopefully yours of all things plant-centric. And this week is no different. Before we get into the episode at hand, I should tell you this episode of The Bloody Vegans podcast is brought to you by Veg One, the nutritional vitamin and mineral supplement designed for vegans by the good folks over at the Vegan Society. It was launched in 2005 and rebranded in 2021 with that fantastic plastic-free package. And Veg One will provide you with all of the nutritional support you'd expect for something designed by the Vegan Society, obviously alongside your healthy and balanced vegan diet, all for an affordable price. A six-month supply is going to set you back just £12.70, which is little over £2 a month and you are going to get your EU nutrient reference values of vitamins B12, D3, iodine, selenium, B2, B6 and folic acid for that sum. What more could you ask? It's durable, affordable and reliable. You take it just once a day. It comes in two wonderful flavours, either orange or blackcurrant. Super easy and convenient and of course plastic free. Head over to vegansociety.com, search for Veg1 and you can pick up your supply right there. So in this week's episode, I'm going to be speaking with CEO and founder of Gaia's Farming Co. That is Michael Kirikow. Uh, he's a fantastic guest. Um, talks about hemp in in an incredibly articulate way. I learned so much about hemp, uh, about how, as Michael describes it, it is a sustainability gladiator, sucking up four times the amount of carbon from the air than trees per acre. It's just amazing. Uh, and we, so we get into, into hemp, all of its wonderful benefits, not just for the environment, but also for your health. Uh, And we also get into why um, hemp farming is so difficult in the UK from a legislative point of view. It's difficult to do. There's a lot of red tape, um, a lot of questions asked, etc. It's not easy to get into the farming of hemp. And we discuss a little bit about why, or I should say Michael educates me a little bit about why. So um, without further ado, here is a conversation between me and the founder and CEO of Gaia's Farming Co. at Michael Kirikow. I suppose there's a multitude of things. I suppose the classic um, cowspiracy to, was, was yeah. like many people when they saw that. Um, I think my journey to veganism starts probably from when I was a child, from when I was a kid. Um, I was just fascinated by um, the Planet Channel um, on yeah. Discovery, Discovery Planet, that's it. And I just would want to watch animals all day. Um, just maybe, I think my parents thought it was kind of weird because all my friends were watching cartoons and MTV and I was just fascinated by frogs, the poison dart frogs <laughs> in, the, in the jungle. So I always knew I had, you know, I had an affiliation to um, wildlife and animals. Um, but obviously, when you're that young, you don't really have a choice of what you eat. Um, mm. Then I got into my um, into my late late uh, late teens. Um, went to university and um, playing sport. And the more you the more you do into research into nutrition, the more you discover things and. Uh, even just the very basics of understanding how we process protein inside mm. and how whey protein just doesn't get, doesn't get absorbed or used very, very efficiently by our bodies. It just started making me think. And then you start looking at the whey industry and thinking of, you know, you're talking about the, 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 the shit of the industry of the shit of the dairy industry. Yeah. Um, and then in my very twenties, I would say I class myself as an environmentalist. But then I said to myself, how can I be an environmentalist if I, if I contributed to um, the system? So the first thing I did is I just stopped drinking dairy and um, products. And then pretty hell, within a couple of years, I think it was like three years later, I said, you know what? No more. I just said, yeah. let me try it. The funny thing is actually, I went, I went to a co-op and uh, in the free, this is, a, this is what, this would be eight years ago now. And in the co-op freezer, there was... Um, there was a bean burger and I was like, this must, this is going to taste like crap, but I'll try it. And I went home and tried it and it was, it was actually fairly pleasant for, 
for my initial expectations. Um, and you know what? I just never, never bought meat again. It's just like, it was just, it wasn't this grandiose um, moment of like, um, it's just, that was as funny as it sounds. That was it, a bean burger from co-op. That was pretty <laughs> average. It was just, and then I just never bought meat again. It just never, it never, it, I'm, I'm, I'd say I don't have an addictive personality. So I, I can either leave it or take it, you know, and yeah. I just, and then, you know, I felt the first, I suppose the first month, I just felt really healthy, felt really lean. And I felt, when I say lean, I don't mean skinny. I mean, just felt like my body was going through this phase of, um, energy reproduction just mm. felt great and then just never turned back yeah and that's that is really in essence what it is um but i'd say my my journey is um i would say that i'm not one of the i'm not a a, a vegan that's you know staunch in the system where i'm like you've got to be this you gotta be that for me i've i've you know been around I've, you know got friends who are vegans and um for me when i speak to people I th- which I think is a different interpretation and they respect me for that is I just try to educate them or inspire them. And it's just about meat reduction for me at the moment for them. And I'm not mm. going to be like, you should stop eating or, or you're or be a vegan or you're a terrible person. And I've had people tell me that, you know, that they've insulted their friends because they're not vegan. I'm like, yes, yeah, not, you're not going to win anything. You're not going to get anywhere. Yeah. Right. Um, so yeah. And if I'm just reducing their meat intake, um, we're going to get somewhere. Um, then the ethical question of whether you eat meat is a, de- is a decided down to that individual person, as long as they're informed, as long as they know. Um, but you're seeing a massive shift, you know, people, more and more people, you know, it's, it's, and it's great to see because um, for whatever reason, if it's, if it's ethical from an animal perspective or it's, um, or it's for the environment, you know, you have varying reasons for it. Was that always your approach? That sort of, you know, meet people where they are, they, you know, if they're, if they're reducing, that's great. Mm. You know, that, that that's the only way to get people to, to move forward. Um, in, in, you know, was that always the approach or, or did you kind of find that approach over the course of your sort of veganism? Um, I think it's just under, it's un, being emotionally intelligent is really important, whether that's in business or whether that's in life. And I, if you're being, if you, if you feel like you're being sold something, or there's, or you're being um, forced to do something, you, you're going to rebel. I know that firsthand as a, as a as a kid. You know, you know my my um, need to my need to be different from everyone else. So if someone says to me, "Do this," I'd want to do something else. Um, <laughs> and maybe, maybe that journey to veganism was part of that. Maybe that's because it was so. It, you know, people are vegan now. I'm like, whatever. You know, tried doing it. 50 years ago that was when it's tough you yeah. know i remember going to going my aunt i've got an auntie in belgium went to go and visit her this is only probably about five six years ago and going to the supermarket that just okay obviously vegetables and vegans you can get vegetables but yeah. in terms of like plant-based meats or they just didn't exist now you go to the same supermarket in belgium and they have a whole aisle of fake meats plant-based meats all that kind of stuff so um so yeah i diverge slightly but um I think understanding how people work um, and how to engage with them, I, f- I get far, I get further speaking to people about their diets in that manner than I do if I said to them, mm. "You're a terrible person because you eat meat," or "You're a terrible person because you're in the dairy industry." And I have conversations. Friends will be like, "Why?" And I, you know, we can talk about a multitude of things. For, for me, this the standalone, you know, issue is is environment. The byproduct of that is I do really love animals, you know. Um, mm. um, so yeah. Did, did you have people come along on the journey with you, or was it quite a solitary pursuit for you? Um, I think it was solitary at the beginning because I come from a very um, uh, you know, a lot of my friends rugby players, um, weightlifting area back in the day. Um, so there, it was solitary in that in that sense, but I, I don't feel like. That affected me it almost gave me more reason to do it yeah i did rather than just following the crowd following the crowd it was kind of like a self-discovery of 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 it um and it's still like you know to this day if people still talk to me about it and i try and help them and you have the same misconceptions and it's kind of like oh the food's so expensive 
Uh, or, you know, I mean, I'm sure your listeners have heard so many reasons. I'm sure a lot of my vegans themselves, they experience the same thing. Um, but it's about, it's about tapping into people's choices. You know, if I have speak to someone and they say to them, then they're like, they have no qualms with, you know, eating animals. Well, I know personally that person probably wouldn't kill an animal. So for me, that ethics is like, well, that's flawed, but I'm not going to start saying you're a bad person. But then if you can look at it from another perspective and say, what about the environment? Do you care about the environment? Do you realize what we're doing to the planet? And then you start talking about, you know, you know, agriculture and animal feeding and it, that makes it, you start seeing it, it tweaking a little bit. It's, it's a multi-pronged approach. You know, I've, and maybe this would be unpopular in your, in, in your listeners, but I've seen those vegan um, marches and I, some of the language they use, it's like, I saw one that was said, um, oh, what was it? What was it? Like, it's like all non-vegans are paedophiles or something like that. And it's to, to do with the cows drinking uh, the calf right. cows. It's like, what are you going to achieve? Yeah. All that happened, I saw the picture. All that happened was the comments on the, the comments on the picture were just absolutely bashing this person. It wasn't, you couldn't really see the person, but veganism, what does that do mm. for the industry? What does that do for the movement? Nothing. It just sets us backwards. If you can open and engage a conversation, and I get this, there needs to be drastic measures. I get it. Um, you know, I've, I've literally built a company around that mission. Um, but I think we can be smarter. I think we should allow us to be more stoic. I think, again, maybe I can go into stoicism and um, that's something that's changed my life as well. But mixing, sto- uh, practicing um, a stoic philosophy has really helped in that. Because um, I feel like we can be quite emotive when we're so passionate about things, especially some people who are so passionate about veganism and educating people. That passion become can can then almost seem aggressive sometimes. Um, as I've taken from a more stoic position and uh, acceptance of humanity, and people who are going to make mistakes or they can have their own choices. And how do we talk to them and communicate with them? And um, and I've got you know I've got friends who have gone who are vegetarian now. You know, I've got friends, mm. not many, but I've got a couple of friends who have become um, vegan because of the discussions we've had. Um, but for me, the most important thing is if I can get them to reduce their meat intake, that for me is the biggest, that for me is the first step, right? I have my mum, for example, you know, you know, working class family, like meat is on the table most days in modern era, you know, the last, you know, 10 years. And, you know, she, she probably eats, I'd say once or twice a week. I'm not going to say, mum, you're a bad person because you're eating meat. But I'm going to say thank you for contributing to a better system and a better society because you're reducing your intake. You know, I'd rather her eat twice a week than seven times a week. Um, and that's going to affect the system far greater than, than, um, than her rebelling against me and saying, you know, us not talking or she thinking that I'm mm. a terrible son. Um, and I get the position that, you know, it's still, it's still contributing, it's, you know, and the ethics side. But, we all have our own ways of dealing with it. Yeah, I think meeting people where they are is never is never a bad thing. And mm-hmm. I, I, I've said this many times on on this this show, but I, I always think you have to remember the day before you discovered what you discovered, you know, yeah. and and how you how you felt and how you thought. And you know, for most of us who were you know we weren't born vegan, mm-hmm. and so um, you know we we went through a period of time where we didn't see some of the things that we see now. Yeah, and so I think it's I do think you're right that it, it's it's not necessarily a, a wise move to not see that that potential position that somebody may be in. You know, maybe their socioeconomic position mm-hmm. is is not is not one that's opened them up to those particular views or. You know, there's all kinds of different things, isn't there, of yeah. why people might not be where you are. Yeah. Um, and there's, and I think also the the other challenge with taking that kind of quite quite that quite strong position is you're almost saying that you're you know you're 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 not prepared to be challenged on other things too because. You know, if, how would you feel if somebody challenged you on something else that mm. was that was you felt was perfectly fine that you just yeah. didn't understand yet? You yeah. Know? So I, I think you've got to be open and accept that you might be wrong. And, <laughs> uh, and I feel like, okay, obviously, I'm talking from a, a position in, I suppose, in, in London, where you know, I'm sure, I'm sure you have different communities or different or different parts of the world. Um, 
and I also I've also known vegans who would turn a blind eye to certain things, and, and maybe some people, the staunch vegans, would be like, um, "They're not vegan," but I, I know people that are vegan, and, but then don't really go deep into the, the makeup they wear, and it's mm. like. Mm. so you know it's like oh they don't eat meat they don't eat you know obviously dairy they don't buy fur um they they don't buy leather but yet what's it what makeup are you wearing and they're like oh it's this company and i'm like have you looked at their practice yeah. and it's kind of like where do we draw the line you know and, yeah. and, and obviously there's, there's a finite level of you are vegan or you're not vegan right and it's like where do we draw the line where do we just try and i mean <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of like it's this de facto, you know, quasi world of uh, what's right and wrong, and all we can do is try and try and be better. Um, but even for me, it makes more sense than to have animal cruelty-free nowadays makeup than um, mm. than not. Um, yeah, you're, you're so right. You're so right. There's all, there's always something that you would have probably missed. You know, our, our world is so, you know, the systems we've created are so. Um, heavily reliant on the exploitation of animals in various mm. ways that it would almost be you know you'd be you you'd be a better man than me if you figured out every single mm. way that animals have been used in your in your life and you can mm. 100% hand on heart say it's been avoided you know i mean mm. one that came to mind this this was this was quite a while ago now but i i, I remember it always being a bit of a a watershed moment for me where I had that realization that actually there's a lot, there's a lot going mm. on in the world, and it, it sounds obvious maybe now I don't know, but it was my bank account. You know, I had had a bank account with one of the big, the big uh, sort of um, high mm. street banks. I'd had it since university. You know, they they uh, incentivize mm. university students because the you know the premise is that generally you stick with the same bank forever and all yeah. that kind of stuff. So um, I was with this bank, and then looked into you know what they were they were funding and there was all wow. kinds of fossil fuels in there and there was animal agriculture and all this kind of stuff and I was talking about you know being vegan at the time and so on and um had to had to find a, a an ethical alternative and and even then it's it's very difficult to find somebody in say the the financing industry that is completely you know you on the with? level yeah the i went with triodos in the end triodos i don't know if you've heard of them there are I think they're Bristol based, Bristol and the Netherlands. I think they've got yeah. uh, they've got bases in, and um, their uh, their this premises. Isn't a plug. <laughs> this isn't a plug. I'm not in any way sponsored by uh, by Triodos Bank. Maybe although I, I know if, you wanna, if you want to, yeah. <laughs> but but they at least purport to invest in in community projects and things mm. that are you know more aligned uh, with yeah. with with my ethics, whether there's absolutely, you know, every trace of animal agriculture removed is another question, but um, it's very difficult to find a, a bank that is. Yeah. And that's just one example. You know, you've got energy companies and all kinds of different things. So. I feel like if you, if you take the Kabbalah theory, you know how everything is intertwined and interlinked. I think mm. um, you'd struggle to find any, anything in the world that isn't linked with exploitation of animals. Um, mm. And I think if if more people, including vegans, take more of the again a stoic approach, a more of a personal journey and a more personal approach to it, they will become happier. They will um, impact the system a lot greater, um, and uh, and try to better yourself as opposed to better things that you have no you can't impact. Whether you're screaming, shouting, whether you're educating or talking to people, the calmer you are, the more clearer you are. Um, and the more you get done in that in that journey to to being a better self, because really this is all about personal journeys. It's you mm. you have your own you have your own ethical choice. You have you you cannot you, you in theory you know everyone should be free to make their own choices. You can you should not allow your you should not allow you to be affected emotionally by the choice of someone else. I get it if your let's say your partner's not vegan, that's obviously going to be quite difficult. But yeah. you, you, all you could do is try and be better for yourself and. Um, you know, and and you'll be a lot happier. Um, and that's a, that's the way I try to live. And when people want to engage with you, when people want to discuss with you about veganism and um, or cutting down meat or going or being a vegetarian or whatever, um, that's a different discussion. Then you can talk about those things. Um, but you'll be a lot clearer minded and listen to people's opinions. And and nine out of ten times when people do do 
mean, let's play, play devil's advocate. They're talking about stuff that is misinformation, whether it's, oh, um, you know, the, I mean, there's, there's tons of them like, you know, oh, I don't get enough protein in my diet. Oh, it's too expensive. Or we should be eating meat or we, we're carnivores and all this kind of stuff. It's like, okay, do some research. Like, and a lot of times, you know, uh, you know, one of my investors was having a bit of a joke and he was like, send me a picture of his, his, you know, incisor teeth. And I said to him, I said, just go and just go and look it up. Go and find other animals that, are, that, are, that eat basically a plant-based diet that also have the same teeth as you. And, mm. and he came back to me and was like, oh, wow, this is actually interesting. And as opposed to me aggressively or even just saying, no, you're wrong. You should be like, it's a way of, a way of approaching yeah. it is, I think, is fundamentally key here. It, it's, um, it's quite an art, I think, to, to stay that, like you say, stay that sort of stoic in your mm. responses. Um, especially because I, th- I think the thing for, for many vegans is it's, it's not the necessarily the comment in isolation. It's the fact that that's one of, you know, a hundred yes. they might have had in the course of the last couple of weeks and so on. So yeah. it does take um, a real mastery, I think, of your composure and yeah. of your ability to respond with a longer term view and think effectively about your communication to to not respond (laughs) just out of sheer frustration sometimes of like this you know not like with the one person but you know how many people are going to talk to me about incisors or yeah you know it's boring (laughs) again it's also choosing when it's also choosing when like to you know you only have let's say what i call velocity right you have 100 percent of your velocity and that velocity only really you know, it can be used for certain things of the day, whether that's for work, whether it's spending mm. your time with your kids, family. Do you really need to argue or even discuss with someone you don't really care about or someone that doesn't really influence your life? Yeah. You've got to make a choice. And and sometimes there are times where I'm just like, you know what, you do you. You've, or you can make, you know, it's very simple. Go and do some research. You know, what I like to think, what I say to a lot of people now is you will find what you want to find online, Right. And yeah. if someone, if someone, you know, is conspiracy theorist and no, and it's right to question things, but if you go and type in X, Y, and Z, you're going to find X, Y, and Z. There's enough, I'm you sorry. know, um, yeah. I don't want to diverge the conversation too off, but you know, it happens every day. There's, you know, you see things like that. So misinformation is there, especially with this dawn of social media. But if you, if you're, if you try to be an objective, you'll find a way to, um, um, to, to filter out the noise. This episode of the Bloody Vegans podcast is brought to you by Veg1 from the Vegan Society. Veg1 is the nutritional vitamin and mineral supplement designed for vegans by vegans. Launched back in 2005 and rebranded in 2021 with a fantastic new plastic-free package, Veg1 provides nutritional support alongside a healthy and balanced vegan diet all for an affordable price. With a six-month supply available for just £12.70, Veg1 will cost you little over £2 a month and offers EU nutrient reference values, or NRVs, of vitamin B12, D3, iodine, selenium, B2, B6, and folic acid. Veg1 is chewable, it's affordable and reliable. You can take it once a day. It's available in fantastic orange and black currant flavors super easy and convenient completely plastic free so why not head over to vegansociety.com search for veg one and take your next healthy steps into the world of veganism you're so you're so right you, you will find exactly what you want to find and you will get your 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 hunch your opinion your viewpoint confirmed for yeah. you if that's the way you want to look for things I absolutely yeah. totally agree with that yeah um Let's talk about the business. I'd love, I'd love to get into that. Where, where, where did the idea start, uh, and 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 what is it for folks who don't know? Yeah. Um, so, I have a company called Guys Farm and Co. We are a biotech company that processes industrial hemp um, for its material, environment, and health benefits. Um, we launched. Um, well, I started the company in end of twenty twenty, um, going. You know pandemic style and um, and we launched with products january of this year um how i got into it i'm again i'm very into my environment i'm very into mother mother earth i care about the environment um and 
I was working for a few software companies, um, um, building them, building their brand as such. And then I always knew I wanted to work in the environmental sector. And again, it's chance favors prepared mind. Um, you know, I looked at, looked at hemp, um, and I was like, okay, it's quite an interesting space. And, you know, looked at the laws and the reasons it got banned and X, Y, and Z, which we can go into uh, and later. But, uh, and then, yeah, I just started reading science papers. I feel like, you know, that's the, rather than reading, going on Google and Wikipedia, I just went really hard into uh, as much available research papers as possible. And the more and more I read, the more and more I was like, wow, this is incredible. And why is this not being utilized um, from an environmental perspective and a health perspective? Um, and th- then I just thought, can I make this happen? And here, here we are. Um, mm. So from an environmental perspective, um, hemp is the most sustainable plant known to man uh, known to you know on the planet um it's has every single part of it can be used um it's basically basically a carbon guzzling gladiator it's so as we all know um the biggest threat to society right now is climate change um Mm. and obviously carbon is part of that problem um hemp is a carbon sink per acreage so if you plant one acre of hemp it removes four times more carbon dioxide than trees does. And hemp takes hundred days to grow. Trees takes to maturity, you know, eight years plus. So from a, just a pure basic statistic of growing more hemp, you remove more carbon. So then obviously um, when that carbon is stored in the plant, it needs to be utilized through processing. You have the stalk, which can be used for hempcrete. You can replace concrete, a huge, huge issue in, in, in system. You, you can replace it with, um, with hemp fiber. It's called hempcrete. So you mix hemp curd with lime um, and water. It's not, it's not structural, but you can use it in the same way that you would build on concrete. You would use steel pilings. Um, where you can use the flour for, med- for medicinal reasons. You can use the roots for medicinal, for makeup. Um, and then obviously what we use is the seeds. Um, so then there's another thing called, um, fetal mediation, which is how much nutrients is given back to the, back to the soil. A little mm-hmm. fact people don't realize is that you can store more carbon in, in our soil than we can in our atmosphere and our plants. So right. not looking after our soil is detrimental to us. Um, it's more so for, you know, emerging globalization countries, AKA the U S for example, where they use chemicals, pesticides, um, they want to grow fast because of the demand for, um, for the population um so they kill the topsoil the problem with the, the topsoil is a lot of carbon is stored there and when carbon is stored there you have bacteria and um that live off the live off the carbon so mm. most people know it as organic food right yeah problem with like the, the label of organic food it typically is we're expensive but if people understood the reason why organic is so important and they would understand how why we need to transition into a more, um, I'm not, I'm not sure organic way of life is right, because I get it. Some people have different abilities in the, from, from price sensitivity model, but um, we need to be thinking more about our soil. And plants all give some form of nutrients to the, to the soil, um, but hemp has one of the highest. Um, mm. And obviously how farmers, how farmers work, they typically, let's say, grow let's say wheat, for example. Well, typically a farmer will need to break that cycle to give nutrients back to the soil. Because if you have a monoculture, it's bad for the soil, it's bad for, it's bad for the earth. Um, and then they typically will put another plant in to just add different nutrients, whatnot. Well, hemp isn't one of the best, if not the best crop cycle plants. Um, there's obviously issues with legislation and um, just uh, for your listeners, the biggest myth, hemp is not cannabis. It hasn't got THC in it. Um, hemp is a variety of the cannabis plant, cannabis sativa, but it doesn't. It has less than 0.3% THC. So if you try smoking hemp, it would be no different to trying to smoke oats, smoking grass, smoking a plant. It literally just, it would do nothing to you. You'd probably mm. just get a lot of white smoke and you'd probably feel quite quite sick. Um, so that's the biggest myth. I, have, I still get people saying to me, can I get higher for your product? No, you cannot. <laughs> um, different, different genus of the plant. Um, so yeah, that's 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 a really carbon guzzling, add nutrients to the soil, um, sustainable leads little leads needs little water, um, 
it just it, again the more you read the more you're like wow this is incredible yeah it's um you know so that's and then from a nutritional perspective i mean what i even start it's uh <laughs> from from a, yeah it's so as we mentioned earlier about protein and our body's not being able to um, break down and absorb protein or hemp 65 percent of hemp is made out of edison globulin which is a perfect protein for human consumption it has all essential amino acids um it had so we can we can basically break down the protein in hemp at a far greater rate than anything else um i believe it's one of the only in the plant kingdom that does that um which is obviously typically where do you get your protein from well <laughs> a good idea is whether it's beans or you can also add hemp into your diet um and then we have um omega-3 and omega-6 which are uh, healthy fats that we will need in our diets um and it has them in the perfect ratio um so yeah that that is that is hemp in a nutshell it's, yeah and, and that's the thing it's like the more you read the more you're like whoa this is incredible um so if you can factor in hemp into your diet it's certainly going to benefit you it's a superfood it is you know different to like a flax seed or you know chai seeds all those kind of like new ancient grain products you can add hemp whether it's drinking our products or whether it's um spreading hemp seeds onto your cereal onto your smoothies um so yeah and there's versions of how you get that whether that's a whole hemp seed or whether that's a dehulled hemp seed which is a hemp heart which is how we make our milk so yeah so we have our, our we um we've made two products we've made in the plant-based industry um we make a hemp and oat milk and in a one liter so your barista standard similar to many other brands you probably see on the high street um and then we have a chocolate milk which is um hemp and coconut cream um and obviously sustainable cacao so that's our two products we launched in january doing really well got featured in vogue in february um and now it's just about rolling that out and building that business and um for us it's keep growing more products we have a whole list of range of products we can go into from health bars to ice creams to um nut butters to pesto what we can do is endless and our job is really to get hemp into the mass market to, to knock down those barriers of misconceptions um and for us, categorically, the reason we call it Guy's Farming Co. is Guy's Mother Earth. The more hemp we plant, the more farmers get into hemp, the more we help the planet out. It's just the the stats, just incredible. Mm. Like from an environmental standpoint, health, whichever way you come at it, the, the those those stats you just you just reeled mm. off there, just amazing. Mm. But my the big question that's sort of like was been floating around my mind as you were blowing my <laughs> blowing my mind with all those different uh, facts is why on earth is is this not mm. all over the place given that it's got all of these climate change benefits and the health benefits and mm. quick to grow and better for the topsoil and like yeah why <laughs> um i think it's too far i think you've got to look at the historical context so um mm. in the 1930s in with the birth of plastics fossil fuels um, you had a lot of um, lobbying going on in the American system, American, American government, where they saw it as a threat. If we can even go back even further, you know, hemp is, has been traced back to thousands of years ago being used as a fiber. You know, when the, America, when the UK colonized the US, there was a tax in place that made the US colonies give hemp or grow hemp to give back to the British so they can use it for sales, we can use it for paper. So, um, so it was pretty much part of history. You know, it's been for thousands of years. And then in the, in the 1930s, in the birth of the oil industry, um, you saw this shift. And you're, I won't mention names because these companies still exist to this day, but certain companies are lobbied against hemp because they saw a threat to the paper industry because you can grow, because for the same acreage of land, you can, grow, you can get four times more pulp um, than you can from wood. Right. You use less chemicals. And some of these companies were the biggest forestries in, in the US. They didn't like the threat of hemp. Um, you obviously saw the, the birth of plastics. Hemp can be made into bipoly biopolymer. So you can re literally replace fossil-derived hydrocarbon plastics with hemp, um, you know, and uh, with hemp-derived bioplastics. Um, so again, it's like many things. They basically, basically associated it with cannabis um, mm. and the THC variety. And it was banned. Um, 
the only countries that have banned it globally were France and China. Um, and guess what? They're both leading countries in, in hemp agriculture and hemp development. It got legalized in 1993. So think how long that was that it was banned for. It was legalized in 1993 in the UK. To this day, you have to have a license to grow it in the UK, which, let's be very frank, I, I completely appreciate, you know, from the from the from a novice's eye, it looks like cannabis, a THC variety. Right. So um, it looks the same. The way you'd see different if you go into like the meta of it, if you grew for cannabis for its for a THC, you wouldn't want it to be really tall. You want the flowers. You want that fast growth of flowers. Um, as a lot of hemp farmers will grow it for the length. So you would see a difference. Also, right. you'd smell the difference as well. Typically, um, if you're growing for THC, it would. Um, smell a lot different um but um so yeah so you have to have a license you have to apply for it on the home office you can't have a you have to kind of a criminal history um but all these things these barriers and little things like you you can't be near a school it can't be near an airport has to be a certain distance from from a road so you have these farmers who just don't want to get involved in that legislation don't want the hassle of it and it's 500 pounds to to apply for this license so you know does a like Categorically, from a farming perspective, it makes more sense to um, to use it as a crop break or to grow it in its entirety. But do they want the, the hassle? I know a far, I spoke to a farmer recently, and his insurance just cancelled his insurance with him for no other reason than they don't want to get involved in that. And it's like, so yes, so just the hassle, right? Do I want to grow him? They have to really be believers in it, and it needs companies that disruptive like us. That are going to yeah. push and say no more. We're going to make a difference here. We're going to show what challenger brands can do. And once the popul- once the, the consumer demands it, it will affect the government. It affects the legislation. It affects. It has a you know the Kabbalah theory it affects everything else. For me, the problem is is that since 2018, the US has legalized hemp to be grown st- every in every state. 2018, the farm the Farm Act bill, I think it was called. Um, We've been growing. We've been legalizing since 1993. You see, you see the growth in America. The UK just don't don't care. And it's like this from an economic mm. perspective would be incredible. Like what you can do for farmers, um, what we can do for industry. It's just it's mind blowing. So again, it, it needs companies um, to push the government to be like really adopt this. Um, even like from an economic perspective, I was looking at um, some research recently and. This is listen to this. This your listeners will go crazy for this. We farmers in the UK cannot grow hemp for CBD. So CBD is a. Right. I'm sure is a people have heard of CBD. Some yeah. people might think it's a fad, whatnot, whatever. The point is, it's it's a booming market. So in the UK, hemp farmers have to burn their flour, right? So they have, they're not allowed to use the flour. We in the UK can import CBD from the rest of the world. So they allow us to import CBD from other farmers, but we can't support our own farmers in the UK. And for, let's say, an acre of hemp grown, a farmer, let's say, will get £20,000, hypothetical um, number, £20,000 for seed for the fiber they can sell. If they were able to grow that um, that, fla- that flower for CBD, they would make £120,000. And they have to watch it burn. So we're not even supporting the farmers in this own country. Imagine, but yeah, we, I get it if the, go, the government was saying no CBD anywhere, we're banning it across the board. Yeah. But we that allow us to import it. So you have these rookies building white label businesses, importing CBD. We don't, we have no really understanding of the spectrum from China, from, you know, Eastern Europe, from France. But yet we're not looking after where we can control the situation in the UK. So I'm sure you can imagine the frustrations of, of the UK system. Um, but there are rumors that there, it is in the works. People are talking about it. You know, the Home Office understand there's an issue. It's just priorities, right? They're too busy having parties than yeah. they are um, actually getting stuff done. <laughs> so, <laughs> And this, so this is all from a misplaced fear that, I don't know, that the, we're going to have a bunch of drug smuggling and, you know, drug dealing going on. Listen, I think that, if you if you allowed hemp to be unregulated, you're going to have people take advantage of the system for sure. Yeah, it's going to happen. I don't have any qualms with there being a license. I have qualms with how slow it is. How yeah, um, yeah. 
the uh, red tape. The red tape. Yeah, they had the Home Office don't have a department really. If we had they they built a department that focused solely on developing hemp, it would be it would be a joy to work with. It would be a joy to watch it grow. And what what they realize is that the economic benefit of that would be huge, both from for themselves, for industry whether that's construction industry. And also, hemp is clean tech. It is a carbon-guzzling machine. We have this idea of going to net zero. Well, mm. let's use hemp for that, you know? Um, so, yeah. Yeah, crazy. Absolutely <laughs> crazy. Yeah. Do, what, what needs to, to happen then first, do you think? Do you think, you know, this is a, a, a sort of change at governmental level or do you think that needs to be pushed by public demand? What, what's your view of that? I think it's multi-pronged. I think you need both. You need, you need a consumer that understands what hemp is. There's a demand mm. for it, and that just means more hemp products in the market. And listen, I, I do think that hemp has had a has a history of being the hippie movement and yeah. you know, hemp bags and hemp shoes, and they all just look crap, right? Um, but when you have these challenger brands, when I say challenger brands, I, what I define them as is brands that challenge the status quo, challenge what's what's the reality of what what's around us. They make an impact. They try different things. They they might not always get it right, but they 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 um, they try to challenge people's perception of what's right and wrong. Um, and when you have and, and even from a branding perspective, they just look good. They're aesthetically pleasing, which I'd say we are. You know, we knew that we we knew that we could build a brand. It's whether we can handle the operation side of working with suppliers and um, mm. farming and processing machinery, which we, we've got. We get in there. <laughs> um, <but> we've, <laughs> got, we've got a great brand. Um, so when you go to the shop floor and you see a product and you see our product and you see our, you pick that over another product because you're like, well, wow, this is impacting the environment. I'm, I, you know, part of that, I, I want to have a good contribution. Um, and then it also, by that, you have a demand. By that, when you go to a supermarket, when there's, let's say, if I use Whole Foods, for example, it's very easy. Mm-hmm. You go there, you can find hemp pesto, you can find hemp, hemp hearts, you can find hemp milks. Um, not that they're all very good, but that's another that's another story. But um, but you go to, a, like I said, Tesco or Morrison's, it doesn't exist. I think yeah. you go to the world. I think in um, you go to the world area, you can find hemp hearts, and they're very, very expensive. Or hemp oil in some areas, um, hemp pressed, um, hemp seed pressed oil, which is like an olive oil, but just without saturated fats. Um, once you see more on the shelves, you start seeing that shift. Once there's more demand, you see, yeah. and that that will just correlate back to the supply. You back to the farmers, back to the um, back to the. Um, processes um once it gets cheaper it gets more accessible uh, but then you also need an engaged government that want to do something about it you know i know i know of a, of a farmer that had land he was he went to a landowner who was an mp and he sold the vision of hemp and the mp loved it he bid for the land the farmer the landowner in principle said yes um they had many discussions and he was he get a new person to hemp. Um, a month later, he got notified that another farmer had outbid him for a different crop. The MP got didn't really care about hemp mm. anymore. So the point is, is that once you fight, once you have people in power that are engaged, that want to do something about it, that realise there's there's more to life than just making money. Um, there's an ethical stance. There's a legacy stance. Um, then you have movement, and that's not going to be overnight. But that you need companies like us that are going to, yeah. you know, fight for it. You know, look at you know Oatly for example. Now, before Oatly existed, plant-based milk was was soy milk. Oatly came in as mm. I call them a challenger brand, and really disrupted the market. You know, and I and I Oatly make mistakes, and there's a lot of criticism <laughs> for Oatly, but I find them a very classy business and a very classy company, and. And we wouldn't be here today. They, they've really spearheaded um, the plant-based movement, and it's incredible. So then, you, and then from Oatly, you start seeing all these new brands. Beyond Meat, I mean, the ethics of all whether you like cellular, lab-grown, um, plant-based meats like Beyond or Impossible, and there's a few that making lab-grown meat, cellular meat, which is in this another world which I don't know too much about but i find mm. it quite weird and crazy you know once beyond me and impossible start doing what they've done guess what hundreds of other businesses start 
make it start yeah. following suit. They want to have they want to have a piece of the pie. Um, so yeah, it's just a, it's just a process. Thinking about the shift in public perception that's required, like you say, there's the the old image of what hemp is associated with. It's either drug use or it's hemp bags mm. and hemp sandals and mm-hmm. that kind of that kind of vibe. Thinking about that shift, although, like you've said, there's a there's a different uh, genus, I think, in the in the mm. in the plant and so on. Do you think the rise of CBD is kind of helpful in a way to sort of piggyback the message off off of it, or is it, or do you not really see that there's a connection? Um, the government have said that um, they are looking and monitoring CBD. They've publicly said we are looking into this and we will do tests and we will do research and they've created a body of people in experts, let's say, um, to evaluate CBD. Um, I, I don't think it's a simple answer of, yes, it's helped. No, it's not helped. I mm. think in general, um, it's helped overall because it brings a product to market, but then it hasn't done very well to educate what CBD is. You know, right. hemp has over 110 cab- cannabinoids. CBD is one of them. Over 110. Right. You see, you see um, our research in the other 100, over 110. Uh, if you see the research we've done on one, two, three, four, five, every single one of those has an impact. Like it's Mother Earth gave us this plant for a reason. You have, I saw, you know, recently there's a bit of publicity around um, two cannabinoids in, found in hemp because they prevent COVID. And it's mental. And then what happened is I saw Vice News post an article on Twitter and on their feeds, cannabis, and then all the comments, great, I'm going to smoke more cannabis. And it's like, you're going to have this issue, right? And it's, it's not yeah. even the same genus, the same plant. Then you have, um, I saw recently, a st- I think I actually put it on my LinkedIn, um, a study on an, a cannabinoid called NFT, not the crypto version, which right. is to do with um, to processing um organisms in the body and it's and it helps develop um uh, functions and flows in the in the in the body and it's like these just these are the very very early days of understanding cannabinoids you know and th she's a cannabinoid in the in the in the cannabis version um you know and actually ironically cbd does the opposite of th they're supposed to counter each other um right it's just the one we know of you know so simple answer is Yes, it's brought attention to the to the market, but no, it's it's mm. it's it's kind of wishy washy, you know. And there's companies that you know use the idea of CBD and and they don't really educate the market. But look, no one's perfect. We're all we're all just trying to. Why are you doing anything right? Is it for an ethical stance? Is it try to, or is it try to make some money? When the CBD market first boomed. Hundred percent. Everyone was trying to make a quick buck. No one knew what it yeah. was. People were importing it from China. Why labeling it? Not that there's anything wrong with the Chinese market. The point is, is that they were the first adopted to be like white label. Here you go. Did you see the? Did you see the spectrum? Did you see the analysis? No. But they're bringing it to the country. So the, you know, the government said, "Well, stop to this. Um, we need to kind of like find out where this, where your CBD is from." Um, the players in the market now that sell CBD, they're reputable because they're still around. You know, John and Dave, you know, the founder, founder person to supply it and just drop shipped it. That didn't help. Um, yeah. Um, especially when they put the price, they, their ethics, their position is very different. They're not in it because they care about hemp. They're in it because they're trying to make money and they still have an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And trust me, many people did make a lot of money. Um, but, Everything has maturity, just like whether we talk about the crypto situation or we talk about plant-based move, movement, veganism. Um, everything has um, a transitional phase, um, and I think hemp. Because if you talk to hemp people who know hemp, they clearly clued up. They know what they're talking about. They, but yeah. the mass market don't. So it's about educating them. Well, look, Michael, you've educated me today. I'm absolutely, my mind is absolutely blown. I feel like I'm going to rush out and get some some hemp seeds and yeah, get, get, get cracking. Awesome, <laughs> awesome, awesome of our hemp milk. hundred oh, percent, yeah, hundred percent. And on that note, where do folks go about finding um, uh, Gaia, Gaia's Farming Co. products? You can go direct online 
um, on our website, but you can find it um, in retailers um, like restaurants, retailers like Meat Burger, which is like a vegan burger joint. Yeah. Um, you've got Pandas in North London. Um, we're in discussion with all the major supermarkets so at the moment, so nice. it, oh, it's going to happen. Um, obviously, as I said, we launched in January, so it's still early days, but you can get us direct online. Um, so, yeah. There'll be links in the show notes, 100%. Yeah, def- maybe I'll even throw in a discount code for you. Oh, yeah, that'd be <laughs> awesome. Yeah, let's 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 do that as well. That'd be nice. Yeah, we're, we're, we'll pop the links in the show notes, the discount codes, etc. And I'll just just recommend everybody check it out. It yeah, just sounds just, sounds awesome. It, it's one of those things, do your own research and you'll, you'll be as bamboozled as I was when I first looked into it. You can go really matter into it like I did and go into every single science paper or just Google it and you just see look at the Wikipedia pages the top level stuff is all there love it Michael thank you it's been a pleasure it's been a pleasure thank you very much When it comes to work, communication is key, even if you don't have a writing job. Sounding unconfident, indecisive, or passive-aggressive can hold you back professionally and hurt your team's productivity. Grammarly Premium's advanced tone suggestions make sure you're always sending the right message. Sound clear and confident in your writing and automatically replace negative-leaning language with solution-focused alternatives. With Grammarly's help, you can build stronger relationships at work, be constructive in the face of challenges, and help your team get things done. Grammarly works where you do, so your team's projects get done before the deadline. And with features like comprehensive spelling, grammar, and clarity-focused sentence rewrites, Grammarly helps keep your writing efficient and mistake-free. The right tone can move any project forward. Get it just right with Grammarly. Go to grammarly.com slash podcast to sign up for free. Then get 20% off when you upgrade to premium. That's 20% off at Grammarly.com slash podcast.